Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. All right, take two. Good morning. <laughs> How's everybody doing today? You guys good? Good, excellent. I love hearing excellent. Better than I deserve, I was told by some people this morning. I like that. Uh, somebody's been listening to Dave Ramsey, apparently, so ready to go. That's right. Well, hey, this morning, we are kicking off part two of Unhindered Rest. That's where we looked at last week was part one. Uh, we were looking at Sabbath. Pastor Aaron took us through what is Sabbath, what are the physical elements of that, and we touched briefly on the spiritual elements of rest as well. And so today, that's what we want to start going through is the, the, how the physical actually affects the spiritual side of rest. Uh, recently, I, I lead a men's morning uh, life group, a, a study, and we just wrapped up going through the book of Galatians, and that was a lot of fun. It was just uh, one week. We did one chapter at a time, and so it was six weeks, uh, and then we started wrapping up towards the end, and I asked the guys, I said, so what do you guys want to go through next? Like, what's, what's uh, do you want to go through another book of the Bible? Do you want to look at some other things? They're like, well, give us, some, give us some options. I said, okay, and so I started looking through some stuff, and uh, we use right now media for a lot of things. And so I was looking on there, and a book that I had just recently finished called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry was on the Right Now Media list. And so I asked these guys, I said, hey, this has been a great book for me, learning about Sabbath and slowing down and some different elements. And they wrote back a big Y-E-S, like, yes, we need to go through this because we all struggle with the element of hurry in our lives. And so today, that's what we're going to be going through as we continue through the Ten Commandments series with what Sabbath is and what we've learned in our life group. I want to share with you all some things that we've been learning in this study, not only to help our physical bodies rest, like I said, but to give us that Sabbath rest that our minds and that our souls need when we rest in God alone, when we rest in Jesus Christ. There's a great Christian philosopher by the name of Dallas Willard, and this is what he said about hurry. He said that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, and that we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. You know, honestly, if somebody asked me today, like, what's the greatest spiritual enemy that you have today? I don't think I would have listed hurry, to be honest with you. It's so embedded in our culture, I didn't think that this was an issue, right? Maybe it's the, the other spiritual warfare, the non-believers, the, the, the people hating on each other, not going out giving the gospel to the world. That, that might have been where I was at, but hurry? I don't think that would have even met my top 10. You know, there was a lady, and, and we all know her, by the name of Corey Tinboom. And uh, she saved many Jewish people in, in the World War II era. But she once said that if the devil can't make you bad... He's going to make you busy, right? And that makes so much sense when you think about what sin does to us and what busyness or what hurry does to us for living emotionally healthy and spiritually rich lives with Jesus in his community of believers, right? It's not Journey Church. It's the church. It's the body of believers everywhere, and now a lot of times I'll talk to people, and, and I'm sure you guys have too. It's like, hey, man, how you doing? He said, oh, I'm good, just... Yeah, church is not a spectator sport. You, come on, I'm, I'm busy, right? That's, that's right. Say, I'm busy. We hear people saying that so much. And busyness itself is not such a bad thing, but when we say, oh, I'm good, just busy, what do we mean? It means we have way too much to do, right? I'm good, just busy, and I don't have enough time to do anything, all these things that I have to do, so I'm gonna speed up my entire life, right? I'm gonna speed up my mind, I'm gonna speed up my body, I'm gonna speed up my relationships, and that includes your relationship with God to where now we are actually out of sync with the flow of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes when I talk to folks, they'll, they'll ask me, like, well, Pastor Stephen, I, I've been praying for this, and it's been a long time. Why hasn't God answered this prayer yet? And I usually try to remember 
or remind people that, well, timing is God's thing, right? We, we have the timing that we want things now. We're, we're more of a microwave. God's more of a crock pot, right? We want this now. God's like, no, let it simmer, let it cook. And I try to remind people that God is never in a hurry. Yet, if you examined my calendar, you're going to find back-to-back meetings, squeezed in between coffee appointments, working on things for our business like web design or, or graphic design, and trying to plan out good time with my family. You know, if, if the God that I serve and the God that I worship and the God who I know is the only true God, if he's not in a hurry, then, then why am I in a hurry with this life? You know, if you're anything like me, you might suffer from what uh, psychologists nowadays are calling hurry sickness. And yeah, that's an actual thing. I, I never thought it would be, but hurry sickness is a real thing. And there are actually three self-tests that you can do to see if you have this. Number one would be this. If you have hurry sickness, you move from one checkout line to another because it's shorter. Anybody? Guilty? Yeah, I got one. Okay. Number two, you might have hurry sickness if when you start to come to a stoplight, you count the cars ahead of you and you change lanes to get to the shorter lane. Yeah, you know who you are. Nobody's raising hands, but you know who you are. And number three, this is the big one for me. You multitask to the point that you forget one of the tasks. Yeah, yeah. Everybody testify. Okay, that's right. Well, pretty sure I have done one or all of those things in my, my lifetime. Maybe last week I did those things. This isn't a, a confession session, so I'll just leave it at that. But there was an author by the name of Ruth Haley Barton, and she wrote a book called The Ten Signs That You Are Moving Way Too Fast Through Life. And here's the sign she told us to look out for. Number one was irritability. Number two is hypersensitivity, right? It doesn't take much to set you off or to hurt your feelings or to get you angry and riled up. Number three would be restlessness, right? When you finally decide to stop and take a Sabbath, maybe take a nap, take a day off, you cannot calm yourself down, right? You have to check that latest email that just came through or you gotta pull out your phone because it's got this little red notification up there and you can't dare leave that thing set for at least two seconds, how about compulsive overworking? Hi, my name is Steven, and I'm a compulsive overworker. Thank you. All right, all right. There's my people. Number five is emotional numbness. You cannot feel empathy or wonder or gratitude. All you really feel is on the brink, the brink of anger and anxiety. Is that anybody? Number seven is disconnected from your identity and your calling, right? We forget who we are and who we aren't. We forget what we are called to do and what we're not called to do. We get sucked into the lifestyle of urgency instead of looking at Jesus Christ to find our true identity. Number eight, you're not able to attend to the basic human needs. Things like sleep. Did you guys know that before the light bulb was invented, that the average person got 10 to 11 hours of sleep a night? Yeah, thanks a lot, Edison. Ruined a whole world. <laughs> but we don't have time for things like eating healthy or exercise or drinking enough water. It's just everything's gotta be go, go, go. Number nine is you're hoarding energy, right? We're holding back our emotions from those around us so that we don't get too bogged down with someone else's story. And that's sad. Especially as believers, that's not who we're called to be. We're called to empathize with others. And lastly, number 10, and this is a big one, we have slippage of our spiritual practices, right? The time that we dedicate to God, the time that we dedicate to the true study of his word, the time that we have to pray, the time that we have to sit at the feet of Jesus and just be silent and listen to him. Remember, he speaks to us through that still, small voice to our hearts, it's hard to hear that in a digital age that we live in today. You know, I told my wife, I was like, man, I think I'm, I'm like probably six for seven out of 10. And she's like, no, honey, you're 10 for 10 on that list. So you need, to, you need to make sure you check this out. 
And what's crazy to me, it's, it's wild because we are more connected than ever because of social media, the internet, uh, all these different elements, yet we are lonelier today than any other time in history. That means that disconnecting from distraction and slowing down our lives is more important and more vital than ever. You know, when we look at the Gospels, we see that Jesus himself lived the unhurried life. Right, he was busy at times, sure. Or people come to him, Jesus, I need you to heal this. Jesus, this is going on. Jesus, you need to do this. And yeah, Jesus was busy. But whenever he had time, after that session of busyness, not too much, but being busy, he would sneak away to those quiet places and have alone time with the Father. He would do that often, and the disciples would often fall asleep and be like, well, where'd he go now? Like, we don't know where he went. You know, back um, last year, I preached a sermon on Psalm 23, and easily one of my favorite psalms, but there's a beautiful reminder in that and a great reflection upon the unhurried life. You remember verse 1 and verse 2, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or modern day translation, I have what I need, right? I don't need to be working and striving just to get more. I got what I need, right? He makes me lie down. In green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, not fast rushing waters like we're used to living in and, and going by. No, still quiet waters is where we're laying down. And then the best part of all, it's Jesus that restores my soul. He restores my soul. It isn't the hurriness, it isn't the busyness, it isn't the stress of life and needing to get more things. It's Jesus alone. And so today, I want to share with you four points from that book that we've been going through in our life group called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and I want to look at God's Word to see how the unhurried lifestyle and how Jesus actually come together and how that is extremely biblical for us to do so that we can have true Shabbat, so that we can have true Sabbath. But before we can even get to those four steps, you guys got to do a pre-step, and that pre-step is desire. You have to want this. I can get up here and spew words all day long. My wife knows that. I could talk all day. But you have to truly want this, you guys. Do you want to be the person that gets off that merry-go-round of hurry in your life, who ditches that drug of speed and lays down all of that anxiety and that anger that hurry brings to your life? If you do, I want to let you know you're signing up for a long, hard journey of change so that you can come out the other side of this freer and full of life. The hard truth is that hurry kills our capacity to receive and to give love. Give love to our neighbors, give love to our families, give love to God. And the deepest ache of the human heart is to give and receive love. The call of Jesus is to slow down and to match our life pace to his. So that's what we're gonna look at this morning. So if you got your Bibles, if you got your notes ready to go, here's point number one. We're gonna look at silence in solitude, right? And the idea of practicing silence in solitude, especially when you're busy, is essential to experiencing a healthier spiritual life. Let's go open up to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 29. Mark chapter 1, verse 29, and we'll go all the way down to 35. And Cameron, would you click for me as I go through these? 29, it says this, As soon as they left the synagogue... They went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was laying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went up to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Interesting. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed as many or he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons and they were not permit and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him 
And then very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. There he was praying. So the word there, deserted place, it's the Greek word eremos. Can you say eremos? Eremos. It's a word that means the wilderness or the desert or the deserted place, the, the place of solitude. But it can also mean this, the, the lonely place and the quiet place. You know, this is actually the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, when it says, Then Jesus was led into the wilderness, Eremos, by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And it was after that point that Jesus comes back, starts healing in his town, starts healing these people, casting out demons, and then roughly the very next day, what does he do? After a long, hard day, he gets up very early before the sun had even come up, and he sneaks away to the Aramos. You know, the Gospel of Luke tells us that he actually did this very frequently. It says Luke chapter 5, verse 16, yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. That again, that word there is Aramos. And if you keep following the life of Jesus through the gospel of Luke, you'll see that as he gains more popularity through the gospel, the time that he starts spending in the Aramos actually grows with him. You know, I know in my life when I get busy at work or with family or whatever I'm doing, the first thing to go in my life is the Aramos. I don't know about you, but it shouldn't be that way. You know, Martin Luther Uh, One of the great starters of the Reformation, he said these words. He said, I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to get it all done. When was the last time we all spent three hours in prayer because we had a busy day? I think we do the opposite. I've got a busy day. I'm going to throw a prayer out, and I'm going to work an extra three hours, don't we? You know, today we live in a world where we are constantly bombarded with notifications on our phone, on other devices, and it can be so hard to find that silence and that solitude. But we see here that Jesus had such a reverence for the quiet alone time in everyday life. And that was part of him practicing the faith, but part of him setting the example for us as well. He was busy, no doubt, but he made sure that he had time to himself, and he did so by getting up early before other believers. You know, if you, maybe you get up early, like right now we have little kids who think it's fun to get up at about 5.30 or 6 a.m., so uh, that's already early. So a lot of times I'm finding my Aramos in the afternoon or in the evenings when I have that time to set aside. The important thing is, is setting time aside for the Aramos. But Jesus here, right, on very busy days, he would move uh, and disappear to the mountains where he would be all night. Some of us are like, amen, right? I want to be like Jesus, going to the mountains, you bet. Whatever it took, though, Jesus made time to be in the Aramos. And that should be non-negotiable for us, too, so that we can live emotionally and spiritually healthy lives in today's hectic world, because we all know it doesn't stop. It just keeps going. And maybe you don't have time to actually get up to the Bighorns or over to the Black Hills. Uh, Guess what? Me neither, right? Okay, we're going back to hurry. Here we go. But just make it a point to get up earlier than your household or set that time aside later that you can fit some time in to be alone with Jesus, right? Enjoy the sunrise or the sunset. Grab a cup of coffee. Maybe take a leisurely walk before or after work, but just have time and silence. Don't bring your phone. Unplug your headphones and allow yourself to be present in those moments, to to feel all those emotions that are coming on and to focus on shutting down that list of to-dos that just constantly plays over and over and over again in our heads. Focus on trying to shut that down in your mind because guess what? That list is going to be there later. You don't have to sit and think about it. It's going to be there. You can do that later. But take this time to focus on God Focus on his creation and sit in the silence, just like Mary did when Martha's running around, just to sit before the feet of Jesus so that you can hear that still small voice that he speaks to us. And the more you do this, the more you're going to realize 
that solitude, that the eremos, does not equate to loneliness. Rather, it lets you connect with God and then connect with those around you, connect with the world around you so that we can be present for other people who need a word from the Lord. So that's silence and solitude. Number two is the word Sabbath. Right? Very appropriate. We're talking about the Sabbath. Great. All right. So let's look in our Bibles at Genesis 2. This will be chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And it says this. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. And on the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he had rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Do you guys remember what God did on the sixth day before he rested? What did he create? Man, right? You guys are scholars, I love it. Man, he created man. But think about this. The, the first job that Adam ever had was to take a day off. It's interesting, isn't it? Right, Adam's fresh on the scene. He's, I'm sure, full of energy, ready to go. Come on, God, let's start naming some animals. Let's, uh, let's start planting some trees in the garden, tending to this thing. And God said, you know, that sounds great, but let's do that tomorrow because today we rest. It's important to see here that the first thing that Adam does is nothing because God already did everything. Amen? Yeah. God already did everything. It's like when we look at this cross behind us, we see that God completed everything for man's salvation, and all we gotta do is trust him. There's not a do list on that to have that salvation, right? He, Jesus himself, comes down, puts on human flesh, dies on the cross so that our sins are forgiven, that we don't have to carry around these burdens. We don't have to carry around this hurry or this busyness of life. Jesus did everything for us so that we could just say, God, please save me. And then he does. He sends the Holy Spirit then to indwell within us and gives us the power to carry out that gospel message. So this first thing we see is that God makes Adam take a Sabbath and Adam Sabbaths with God. Do you know in the Bible there's actually four different ways that the word Sabbath is used. The first one is this. The word Sabbath also means to stop. It means to stop. The Sabbath day is where you stopped working. You stopped the hustle. And today we know this. We live in a society that values the grind. They constantly value the grind, right? Never taking a day off is often respected, right? A lot of times it's seen as a sign of success. Well, I'm just so busy because X, Y, and Z. You might be successful to the world, but what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Right? Taking a day off sounds like a bad idea because people might think that you're being lazy. But Jesus shows us this example of Sabbath by stopping. Now, there are going to be things that pop up in our life that need immediate attention, right? I have little kids. They're climbing up a ladder on the jungle gym. They're going to fall sometime, and I'm sure we're going to make a trip to the ER. Right? I'm not going to say, sorry, son, we're having Sabbath. Like, we'll, we'll push your bone in later. Like, good work to you. But I got a lot of friends in here who are uh, ranchers. And what season are you guys in or getting ready to go into? Calving season, right? You're getting ready to go into calving season. So what do you do when you're on your Sabbath rest and you have this heifer with tiny little hips trying to push out her first calf. You get out there and you start pulling, right? You gotta get to pulling. So what do we do then? It's like, well, I just ruined my Sabbath, God. Did, did I just break your commandment? Let's look at the words of Jesus in Luke 14, starting in verse one. Luke 14, starting in verse one, it says this. On the Sabbath, he went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, where they were closely, where they were watching him closely. So the Pharisees are watching Jesus to see what he's gonna do next, see what stones they can throw at him, right? There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. And in response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. 
They knew the answer was no, you can't heal on the Sabbath, according to their own law. But they kept silent, and Jesus took the man, healed him, and sent him away. Then he looks back at the Pharisees and the, and the law experts, and he says, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could find no answer to these things. Did you know that in some of the law experts of the Pharisees' own laws, they had 600 and some odd extra laws that they applied to people? They would say if, if an ox or an animal fell in a hole, that it was okay to pull him out. But in this case, you can't heal a man? You know why? It's because the animals had more value than the people. That's disgusting. That's not okay. These animals had more value than people did to these, to these uh, Pharisees. And so Jesus shows, no, somebody needs a hand. I'm gonna reach out and help them. And what does he tell us to do? Likewise, do the same. You know, cows are gonna be born. Kids are gonna need to make a trip to the ER at some point. The water heater is gonna go out at such an inconvenient time. You know, when I went uh, on my sabbatical uh, last year, I came home, I did a little trip to uh, Bozeman. I went and visited a friend up there. And then I came back and the first thing my wife is like, oh, welcome home. We have no hot water. Okay. And so you just kind of bite it and you go. That's part of life. Things are gonna happen. But actually trying to set time aside, even in the midst of that, is important, right? Set your time aside. If something comes up, take care of it and then get back to resting. And if you can't because it's gonna take all day or all week, just try again later. Don't sweep Sabbath under the rug. Remember, this was a practice of Jesus, the Son of God himself. And if he demonstrated it for us, then this is something we should want to do as well, right? If we are to be like Jesus, we are the image bearers of God, then we must allow ourselves to follow in his footsteps, to be covered in the dust of our rabbi. You know, the second translation for the word Sabbath is rest, right? We looked at a lot of this last week. It's the, the physical, the mental, and the emotional and spiritual rejuvenation, Rest does include sleeping, but it's so much more than just sleeping. True rest is actively trusting God with all of your worries and all of your anxieties and then setting those things aside that need to be solved. Trusting God, hey, for one day, guess what? I'm not gonna worry or have anxiety about these things because you're still in control. Even if I take a day off, God, you're still in control. We may not think that at times, but he still is. It's amazing. In that book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer, uh, who is the pastor who wrote this book, he said, when I rest, I'm not wasting time. But if I am, I'm wasting time on God and resting in him. You got a problem with me resting? Take it up with God. He kind of set the bar here, didn't he? I want to ask you guys, when was the last time you took a day away from your schedule and pressing responsibilities and actively rested in Jesus, right? Not just take a nap, not just take a walk and clear your mind, but actively rested in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The third translation for the word Sabbath is delight. Now, this is my favorite one because uh, I'm an extrovert. Imagine that. But the, the Sabbath word here is meant celebration. It's a party. It's a holiday. Boy, I love parties and I love holidays. So this one fits me great. But it's a day where we can enjoy life to its fullest because that's what God's given us. Do you remember in what Jesus said in John 10, 10? He said, I came so that they could have boring life. I don't want to follow God if that's it, right? No, he came so that we could have abundant life. He's the one who blessed everything. We should be able to enjoy it. So I want to ask you this. What, you, what could you do in a 24-hour period that would bring you deep, soul-level, throbbing joy in your life? Right? Maybe it's a day where you do a bunch of things that, that you all enjoy. Uh, Pastor John Mark said in the book, he calls it pleasure stacking. 
because it's a bunch of things that he loves to do in, in one day. You know, things like turning off his phone, turning off the TV, enjoying time with his family, going on that walk, playing games, maybe board games with your family, pouring into each other, taking a nap. Hallelujah. You need that. Drinking coffee. Yes, that is what you need to do on Sabbath. I would question if you're a Christian if you don't do that. I'm just saying. But the last translation for the word Sabbath, and I think most importantly, Sabbath means worship. Sabbath means worship. For this reason, Sunday, for a lot of you guys, might be the best day for you to practice the Sabbath. Right? You come in, you meet with fellow believers, you sing praises to God. Did you know that the Bible mentions singing praises to God over 800 times? Jake taught me that. That's pretty cool. So it's kind of important to sing praises to God. Just saying, I'm a worship pastor. I got to throw those in when I can. But we come to meet with fellow believers, sing these songs, dive into the word and to the applications that Jesus gives us. And then we could go have a meal together, maybe just take apart the sermon even more, let it speak to our hearts and our souls, keep it rolling for a whole day with your family. Right? No matter what day you choose, though, I want to encourage you to think of a sa- the Sabbath as a day that is dedicated to the Lord. Yeah, it's fun to delight in the Lord. I love that. It's fun to uh, take naps and to rest and to just stop. But all of those things point right back to the worship of Jesus Christ. You know, the Sabbath is important because it removes distractions It allows us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And it gives us a day to experience the beauty of the abundant life that is offered by Jesus Christ. Integrating the Sabbath as a normal part of your week, it's going to be difficult at first if this isn't something you already do. Start slow is my encouragement to you. Because if you just go in, kind of cold turkey this thing, it's going to fail. It's like every diet I ever tried, not working. But start slow and do everything you can to ensure that your next Sabbath is as successful as it can be. And if it's not, remember, it's, it's okay. Give it to God again. Have God's grace help you to implement the Sabbath the next time because he wants you to enjoy that time with him. Well, number three, let's, let's come to number three. We have silent solitude, Sabbath, but number three is simplicity, Simplicity. This portion might make you guys upset like it made me upset. So here we go. Today, we live in a culture of consumerism. Pretty easy to see, right? We got to have the newest, the coolest, and the best stuff that's on the market. And our economy is actually dependent upon that kind of growth of people buying more. Did you know that right after World War II, the economy was was very vulnerable, right? Ready to just fall off the cliff. And so some big wigs from DC and from uh, Madison Avenue, they got together and they're like, we gotta come up with a new economic plan for America. And what they decided to do was base the economic model for America on consumerism. There's a man by the name of Paul Mauser of Lehman Brothers. This was a global financial uh, services firm that was founded in 1847. He once said these words, and this, this is where I got ticked off. He said, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old had been completed entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. There's an old saying that actually says, the more you get, the more you're going to want. Let's reflect back to Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, the desire and the drive to have more, this is the engine of hurry 
in our lives. It drives that life of speed, of overworking, of overliving, where we're just grasping for more rather than gratefully enjoying our life with God and with each other. And Jesus said a lot about this stuff. Do you know that the New Testament scholars estimate that around 25%, that's one quarter of Jesus's teachings are on the subject of money and possessions? Could you imagine that if every fourth teaching here at Journey was about tithing? Nobody would be here. I guarantee you that. Nobody would be sitting here today. But he wasn't after our money, and that's what needs to be important, that we need to see. Jesus isn't after our money, but he's after our hearts. Because guess what? Jesus knows how the soul works, right? He knows how we tick. Uh, He's the one who created us, so obviously he knows this stuff. And he talked about money and possessions so much because he knew that when we just become consumed with things, that those things will eventually consume us, and it'll consume our hearts, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, they're like, I'm never going back to that church because they preached a sermon on money. It makes me wonder, then, then where's your heart at? Because Jesus had a lot to say about money. And we're not here to say, give, 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 give. Like, that's not what we're up here doing. But we don't want money to be the one that consumes you or your possessions because, you guys, that's when I fight. When new cool things come out, I'm like, that is awesome. I gotta have it. Again, I'm going to get it tattooed right here on my arm. I shall not want. So every time I go to give my card, I'm like, oh, nope. Just kidding. <laughs> Brand new guitar. Oh, I got an old one. That's fine. No, Jesus cares for our hearts so deeply. And if he didn't, he wouldn't have been chosen to be nailed to a cross for our sins. If he didn't care about your heart, he wouldn't have done that. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 through 24. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Cameron, you got me, bro? Thanks. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Here's the kicker. You cannot serve both God and money. This verse here, these verses, they're reminding us that our possessions aren't going to last forever. They aren't going to last forever. At any given time, these things could be stolen, they could be destroyed, they could be lost, But what's happening here is overconsumption reveals our disordered desires. Instead of being satisfied with God, what are we doing? We're trying to find value and meaning in life by the things that we own or by the size of our bank accounts. And when our treasure holds a higher position in our heart than God, it becomes what Pastor Aaron already preached on, not having any other idols. Those possessions and that money becomes an idol in your life. And Jesus says right here at the end of this, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. He didn't say you should not. He said you cannot serve both God and money. Our consumerism is actually a form of worship, but it's worship focused on things rather than God. We give our resources in return for peace or situational comfort or status instead of finding peace, comfort, and status in the only person who could ever truly provide that, and that's Jesus Christ himself. You know, in a society shaped by consumerism, simplicity is a radical commitment to following the way of Jesus. But when we limit our possessions and commit ourselves to generosity, we will find the joy and fullness of life 
that Jesus promises. Now, my wife, she's been going through this uh, stage of organizing everything, which is awesome. I can, you know, find every little piece of something that I need to find. Uh, but then with that comes, oh, and we should get rid of this, we should get rid of this. And she started purging at first. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm going to have no more underwear left if you keep doing this. <laughs> and she started getting rid of these things. And, and I started telling her, I was like, you know what, just put that stuff in a bag. And if I don't notice it for two or three months, give it away. I don't even see it because stuff is ridiculous, really. When we can declutter, when we can give these things away, maybe to someone who's in need, then we're going to have more time. We're going to have more clarity. I tell you what, when we started clearing things out, I felt like I had clarity of mind even. It was crazy. But we're going to have more time to be able to devote to God and not worry so much about the things that, well, I can't get rid of this because it holds this. No, it doesn't. It's going to burn one day. It doesn't matter that much. Discover this week as you examine your habits and you consider what it would look like to limit your intake and then increase your giving. And it doesn't even have to be giving to Journey. Give to an organization that you truly believe is sharing the gospel an organization that you believe is truly taking the mission field of the work of Jesus to the world, feeding hungry kids. But just consider what would it look like to limit our intake and then increase our giving. Ask God to help you set some goals for this week and discover the joy of simplicity. Well, number four and lastly, it's slowing. Slowing down. You know, sometimes in life we're put in situations that actually force us to slow down and wait. I can't tell you how much anxiety that gives me when I have to wait. When slowing down is the only option, it can have a great impact on our ability to remain patient. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient. Ugh, don't pray for that, right? That's what we're always told. Brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You, must, you also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Excuse me. Fathers have to, or I'm sorry, farmers have to wait for the rain without any guarantee that it's going to come, right? Their entire livelihoods hang in the balance of something they cannot control. And in many cases, waiting patiently is hard because we have no idea how long we're going to be waiting for. But just like the farmer that knows, you know what? God's going to provide. If this is what he's called me to, he's going to bring me to it, bring me through it. Just like the farmer knows that it's going to rain at some point, we know that God will come through for us in our waiting. You know, James reminds us to be, to be patient by strengthening our hearts because Christ's return is coming sooner than we think. But for many of us, and, and I know this is me, I'm like, God, could you hurry it up? Do you, do you see what's going on down here? God, are you still taking a nap? Like, what's happening? Wake up, look at this. That's not what it's like at all. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay. Okay, I don't understand delay properly. <laughs> but he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God wants everyone to know how much he loves them, and he wants everyone to come to his grace and to his mercy. And he's waiting for all of these people that he knows are going to come to him. Learning to live a slower pace expands our ability to be present with God and to be present in our circumstances. But patience doesn't always come easy. It doesn't always come easy. We have to practice slowing down through intentional methods like this that we've just read, like we've been studying all out today. So I want to ask you, has your current spiritual life been impacted 
by a hurried lifestyle. Mine has. If you're looking for a perfect pastor who has it all together, you need to go to a different church because I'm not him. I am working out these things and I have been super convicted of all of these things. Just like Aaron said last week, he's a hypocrite for preaching, preaching rest. Uh, yeah, I guess misery loves company, buddy. So here we are. But the practices of silence and solitude, the practice of Shabbat, of Sabbath, the practice of simplicity and the practice of slowing down will not only help you rest and give you peace in your life, but it will also connect you intimately with Jesus when that rest is focused upon him. He is the one who is the true provider of rest. He actually tells us that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke, Jesus says, it's, it's an easy yoke. And that's the picture of Jesus would be the, um, he would be the head ox in this situation. He'd put the yoke on and we'd be put on the other side. And he's the one pulling this, this plow, this burden, this yoke. And we're learning from him. He's the one teaching us, training us, showing us. He said, my yoke is easy. That doesn't mean that life is easy because it's not, right? But the yoke is easy. And he doesn't say that we will not have burdens in life. He says, but if you do this with me, if you yoke with me, these burdens are going to be light because he's walking through these burdens with us. You know, he's not telling us to do this alone. He's telling us here that it's not about the religion side. It's about relationship. Because in this context, what was happening was uh, the Pharisees were trying to put more laws on top of the people, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's, it's not about that. It's not religion, it's relationship. It's not the practices of Judaism. It's following Jesus, right? It's not about these laws that these, man, that these men have made, but it's about love. It's about the love of God. You know, there was a man one time who came up to Jesus, and he asked him, he was hoping to trip him up with this question. He asked him, what is the greatest commandment of all time? And Jesus says this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That means you can't be ripping on yourself. right? You can't think too highly of yourself, but you can't think too lowly of yourself. No, don't call yourself a piece of garbage or a piece of junk. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make garbage. You gotta love your neighbor as yourself. And if you love yourself properly, you see how God looks at you. Then you could properly love your neighbors because that's how God's gonna look at your neighbor. That is a great way to live your life. And then he says at the end of that, he said, all the law and the prophets depend upon these two commands. And as followers of Jesus, we have to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. He said it right there, the law and the prophets, they depend upon it. And so Jesus today would tell us, he would say, hey, come to me. Don't labor under the burdens of the world. You're gonna become very weary and tired if you do. Don't become heavy laden under the bondages of sin because it's gonna rob you of life and energy. And don't become enslaved by the laws of the Pharisees. You're going to be weighed down. Jesus just says, come to me. Yoke with me. Learn of me. And that's how you're going to find true rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time together. And just for these words that you've given us. Lord, these uh, things that we can implement into our lives to have less hurry. Jesus, as we look at your life and we realize that you were never in a hurry the way that we see it, you were never too busy for people, 
You were never inconvenienced by people. God, you gave people the time that they needed. And then you went away and found your aremos, wherever that might have been, that quiet time that you would have had with the Father. Jesus, I pray today that you would show us, each and every one of us, what we need to do to slow down, to simplify, to have Sabbath with you. God, I pray that we would be able to have silence and solitude in your midst, that you could truly speak to our hearts, that you would truly show us what it means to be in your presence. So I think a lot of us think that we are, but God, just like me, I, I, I need a fresh lesson. I need to go back to 101 with what it means to be in your presence. Now, God, as we sing this last song, I pray that it would remind us of just how important it is to just sit at your feet, to not bring you a laundry list of items like we always tend to do, Lord, but just to sit in silence and remember the words to Talistai that it is finished and that we can truly have rest in your finished work. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what we could never do and for giving us an opportunity, for giving us the invitation to be saved. God, I pray today for anybody who's in here who may not know you, anybody who's watching online who may not know who you are, Jesus. I pray that they would have a radical encounter with you, that they would see that following Jesus doesn't mean your life's gonna be perfect, doesn't mean that life is gonna be all uh, rainbows. But God, that they would see that in the struggles that you are a God who actually walks through the mire and the turmoil with us in this world. And that you are a God who does not leave nor forsake his children. That you are a good shepherd who stays with the sheep. God, help us to see that today. And I pray for those people who may not know you. God, for us who do, give us practices. Give us spiritual practices, discipleship lessons in following you, in resting in you. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for everything that you've done. We love you and we pray this in his mighty holy name and all God's people said, amen. Hey, we're gonna be singing this last song, like I said, and it's, um, it's, a, it's a song by a guy named Cody Carnes. And the song's title is Nothing Else. And what he's talking about is how nothing else will do except being caught up in the presence of Jesus Christ, being caught up with the Holy Spirit and listening to his instruction. So as you guys hear this, please feel free to stand, feel free to sit, reflect on these words. Like I said, it's a new song, but please enjoy these words and remember what it means to rest. Hey, thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.